As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the latest edition of Until Saturday. I'm Ari Wasserman, joined by my co-host David Ubbin. Uh, we are both in hotels, it looks like. I'm in Houston for the national championship game. Uh, Dave is in Nashville doing some stealth I am work, currently, right? Ari, in a meeting room reserved for Virginia Tech staff at 7 p.m. tonight. So if Brent Pry comes in here and kicks the door down, I know some guys on their staff, but if Brent Pry comes in and kicks the door down, we may have to relocate. But I think we're good okay. on the timing. <laughs> well, I didn't really think this through when I'm sitting right next to the air conditioner and my hotel is on meat locker mode, so I am freezing. But this is going to be good. It'll keep me awake. <laughs> It'll keep me sharp. We are here today, guys, game. more than a, a little bit more than 24 hours away from Monday's national championship game. Um, we are stoked for the final game of the 2023 season. Uh, before kickoff, we wanted to get some final thoughts out there, some discussions from interviews and media day yesterday. Um, we have a few guests coming on the show. We're going to talk about Jim Harbaugh's violent animal videos that he's showing his team. Um, that kind of reminds me of a horror movie, but also can see why people might want to before such a violent sport. Um, also, uh, we have three guests that will be here in the audio form. If you're listening to this in the podcast, that's uh, our own Michigan beat writer, Austin Meek, uh, Ralph Russo from the AP and Chuck Culpepper, uh, maybe the best sports writer on the planet who, who just in terms of writing, he's a, it's a poet. He's from the Washington Post. That'll all be in the show today. And then, of course, we're going to get to, as promised, some Sunday sound off questions and voicemails um, that are going to be pretty entertaining. So we've got a pretty big show um, and we made it through the first season here, Dave. Why don't we get into uh, some of this game here and, and what we've learned mm -hmm. in, in Houston? So first of all, the energy has been pretty good. You know, uh, sometimes you come to these games and, you know, one team is just going to maul the other team. And the thing that I really love about being here in Houston and being at this game is that we actually are not sure um, who is going to win. You know, I'm I sure. think that people right. think that Michigan is going to win. I think that's the lean. They're a four and a half point favorite, according to BetMGM. You know, as we record, it seems like that line's had held pretty um, firm, but it's not like last year's national championship game where the ending was written on the wall before the game was played. Was it though, Ari? Was it? <laughs> Depends on who you ask. You you probably don't. <laughs> Um, let's talk about the game a little bit further, um, as we get into this episode, 
Um, Jim Harbaugh's future. I think there seems Mm -hmm. to be this prevailing notion that no matter what happens in this game, that this is going to be it for the Harbaugh era. Um, Part of it is because Jim Harbaugh has consistently flirted with NFL jobs in the past, Mm -hmm. even when circumstances around his program were different, whether that be, um, you know, suspensions that he served or championships to be played for. Um, But also too, you have the Spygate thing that's looming over Michigan's program. They're kind of in this all in moment where, you know, whatever happens later, we'll deal with when that time comes, but we're trying to win a title that you can never take away from us. It seems to be this very um, interesting personal storyline with the head coach who, um, you know, really got his program from good to great. Um, he was underrated. Asked about before that. we move on, underrated yeah. factor with the Harbaugh thing. You got a roster that's getting ready to basically completely turn over. And yeah, not enough people right. are talking about that. Like, if you're going to leave, I feel like that more than the suspension, more than the NFL opportunities, like they're not going to be this good next year. So, and as easily as it's been to kind of roll your eyes at the notion that you know stars matter, which we'll get into a little bit more in the show. You know, one thing that stars still unequivocally do is give your program an opportunity to bounce back from mass exoduses of talent um, year over year to be a competitor. And even if Michigan has built this team that has 15 potential draft picks on it or more, um, it's very hard to rebound from losing that talent when it goes. So unless you have 20 top 100 players who are more ready to start early in their careers than Michigan probably has on their roster. So, yes, I think this is all part of it. Uh, Jim Harbaugh was asked multiple times uh, at the podium, I believe, on Sunday morning during the joint head coach press conference, but then also, um, you know, at media day on Saturday and scary. He said, Gary leave, in the right? comment, he said this is uh, my last game as Michigan head coach, right? This one thing that that's scary. Well, I mean, it was that you, you wait to hear what he said. If you, if you haven't heard it yet, but it's very good. scary, scary, Gary, Michigan also has a brutal schedule next year. Their schedule is really brutal. Although, and I don't know if that we, matters, but if you don't have a team and then you have to play that schedule, there is yeah. a chance it could be a five. I, I think that both of these teams legitimately could be 500 teams next year. We, Ari, we need to recalibrate what a difficult schedule is, though, because we're going into a new era of the SEC and the new Big Ten. Everybody's schedule is going to be hard. It is what it is. No, Michigan's schedule is exceptionally hard. Have they you looked at the it? Non-con- they do have the non-conference game. They got Michigan at home. I mean, they got Texas at home, right? But I, mean, I, I believe they play Texas in the non-conference, um, yes, and that alone right. is difficult. They play Fresno State um, in Ann Arbor, which, you know, if you're playing dope. a team that used to be a group of five team or however you wanted to phrase it, they're they're always a pretty tough team. Then the following week, you're playing Texas in Ann Arbor. Then two weeks later, you're playing USC at home. Then two weeks after that, you're playing Washington in Seattle. Then you have Michigan State at home two weeks later. Then the week after that, you're going or you're you're hosting Oregon. And then two weeks after that, you're going to Ohio State. Like that is like a schedule. Oh, they play Ohio State next year? Yeah, at oh. in, in Columbus. I don't know if that's a big game or not in your mind, but it, it's going to be a big game for them. That's <laughs> um, just a tough schedule, man. And like playing the Washington team that you're playing in the national championship game might look like a tough game. On you know, I don't know what these teams are going to look like next year. But I think Texas is going to be very good again next year. And yeah. playing Washington, I mean, they got USC, Washington, and Oregon all on the same schedule, adding into two rivalry games with Michigan State and Ohio State. You know, regardless of what you want to say about recalibrating, that is a um, unquestionably difficult schedule for anybody, whether it be the 14 it is, playoff but we do or the need 12 to recalibrate What is we a do. hard schedule? Well, a hard schedule in the past used to mean four yeah, games four against games really good teams, but like they yeah. have six or seven next year. So. Yeah. Um, and that's also not taking into account that, 
you know, you never know how good like Illinois will be or, yeah, you know, Minnesota, like every now and then those teams have, have good years. So you can't just, you know, put those in as bye weeks but when asked about his future, here's what Jim Harbaugh said. People are wondering about the future of Michigan's football program. You're obviously a big part of that. And I know the administration wants you back. Have you told them and assured them that you will be here after the season? Yeah, there's a calendar. I'll, I'll, I'll gladly talk about the future uh, next week. And I hope to have one. How about that? A future? I hope to have one. Yes. Thank you. It's kind of morbid. Well, it's like, uh, who was the NFL coach that somebody, you know, it's like the old joke when people say they're day-to-day. It's like, well, we're all day-to-day. But who was the coach who was an NFL coach? Maybe it was Kyle Shanahan. I forget. Was asking about, like, you know, is so-and-so going to be there next week? It's like, well, we, you know, the world could end or something like that. I forget who that was. I'm sure the comment section will hit us up and figure that out. Dave, did, just let me roughly translate that in English. Mm-hmm. I hope to have the future roughly translates to I hope I don't die tomorrow, right? Well, I think it's a creative way to not answer a question that you really can't answer. A creative way? Yeah. Here's a creative way. Let me give you a creative way for a normal coach. Jim Harbaugh's not exactly a weird, not exactly a normal person. No, so here's a normal coach's reaction. You know, the future is always going to be a main fixture in my thought process, but we have made it to a point in the season that we haven't made it to uh, in the history of the playoff era and since 1997. We are... 100% 100% one-track focused mind. He likes to say that a lot. Um, focused on this game. There will be a time and place for agents and contracts and discussions to be had. I love Michigan. I've given it everything I've had since I've been here. And once this season is in the rearview mirror, we will get back to the table. We will discuss my future and we'll see whether or not that's the best for me or whatever. I don't know. You you can say things that aren't weird. <laughs> you know? Can you? Have I you think, met Jim Harbaugh? I, I, I don't know. He's not I mean, we are going to get into more weird Jim Harbaugh discussions um, on yeah. the podcast, but I hope to have a, I mean, don't we all hope to have one? Sure. Yeah. I think so. I hope to I'd have that's one. Fair. That's a fair assumption, I think. Um, we got NCAA coming out next summer, Ari. We can't, well, let me ask we you, what do you we think live to he's going to do? What do you think he's going to do? If you, in October... To the early part of November, I was like a lot of people. I thought it was a foregone conclusion that this is done. This is the last year. You know, throughout Jim Harbaugh's tenure, San Diego, Stanford, 49ers, the thing kind of runs its course. Like, Jim Harbaugh seems like he's not the easiest guy to work for. Seems like it's not the easiest organization with his head on it to be underneath. And sometimes you just got to hit the reset button. It seems like that's kind of been his M.O. Not that he bails on things, but just like after like six or seven years, it becomes but, but time. I, I will, it becomes I will clear push back time. on that, though, Dave. There mm-hmm. aren't a lot of coaches, you know, outside of like Nick Saban and such that stay Dabo Sweeney's guys who have won championships that stay in a job for 10 to 15 years all that regularly anyway. Uh, but if you can, if you're winning and they'll have you and you're at a destination job, they do. But that's just the first part. Really hard. They will have him, and he's at his destination job. Now, whether well, or not you I'm ask saying. him, he's, if you I, ask him if his if the NFL is actually his destination, I think based on his behavior yes, the past few years he that he to. seems to have an inkling or a desire to go back to the league. And if yes. that's where he's happiest and where he wants to be, then I understand that. But all three things, if you look at the longest tenured coaches, most of them in college football, they have very similar resumes and accomplishments at their Mm -hmm. program that Jim Harbaugh now has. 
Uh, they love him. He's a the son of Ann Arbor, right? He played there. They could be national champions in 24 hours or 36 hours. Um, and they want to have him around. And during a time in which it'd be easy to lose track of um, those things, you know, during the science dealing scandal and, you know, other things where he served suspensions this year, you know, you could grow sour on them. It almost seemed like Michigan became more steadfastly supportive of him. So this isn't a, you know, situation where this isn't a hundred percent entirely up to him, unless there's stuff coming out that we yeah. are unaware of. Um, <coughs> it's just a matter of whether or not he wants to go to the league. And, and in fact, here, goes, <coughs> I think you could make the case that Michigan is the place that has more longevity for him in terms of keeping him around as the head coach than any NFL job. Cause if he goes to an NFL job and they don't make the playoffs for three years, which is really hard to do in the league, you're fired. Um, and I, well, I think he wants to win the Super Bowl. Like that's a thing. That's a thing. That yeah, he, yeah. Got, Winning the Super on the Bowl doorstep. is a thing, and getting on the doorstep and losing to your brother has got to be a tough thing to have to live with. Um, mm-hmm. That said, I am Joe personally Flacco. hoping and rooting for him to stay because I think the sport is better with him as a character. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Uh, the sport needs personalities. It's hurt when we lose those um, as a whole. But I sort of get it. I mean, I think what the 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 Chargers, wherever they're at now, they're in L.A., right? Um, yeah. And then the Vegas Raiders would be the two that obviously are the ones that, that you sort of hear the most rumors about. But they have to actually decide to hire him, which is no guarantee either. You know, he went for the Vikings job. Uh, was that last year or two years ago? You know, did not get that one. So there's a lot of moving parts here. I, if it was me, if I'm a betting man, I would say he's probably gone. I think the lore of the Super Bowl, not wanting to stick around to find out whether, you know, how hard the NCAA is going to come down on him for two separate situations that are neither of which have been fully resolved. I don't know that I, if I have other opportunities that I could just walk away from this problem and let somebody else deal with it, I probably might do the same thing. So, um, you know, and I don't know if he when it comes is, down to, I think he's gone. All the things that you could say about Jim Harbaugh too, his weirdness makes him a bizarre fit for recruiting, I think. And like being around the Big Ten recruiting space for as many years as I was, you know, I had heard things like he relies extra heavily on his staff. Um, He isn't necessarily the closer that other coaches are because, you know, he doesn't really convey things the way that normal people do. And he (laughs) might not like it. I mean, like, I don't know, but like on the, on the flip side of that, if a recruit likes him, then it's great and it works, yeah. you know, but there is just like there is with every other coach. Um, not everybody is for everybody. And, you know, some players might be more moved by what Nick Saban has to say. And some players might be more moved by what Jim Harbaugh has to say. Well, it's like, you, uh, there's it's one like unquestionable what, um, thing here real quick, Dave, is that everybody who plays for him loves him. Like, I don't really mm-hmm. feel like there's a lot of players leaving the Michigan program saying he was a terrible coach. He didn't love us. He's obviously out there being a proponent for, you know, the financial aspect of this. He said repeatedly that he believes that the revenue share should be a part yeah. of of the college game. Um, That's bolder than people think it is. He, he said a, it a handful of times, but there's not a lot of coaches yeah. that are beating the table like that. And it's not new. Um, I can't and what he says, I actually think makes rational it. sense, too. Like he Somebody was tweeting every, about it that he was he was pushing the Stanford players to. Uh, unionize i think was it sam schwartzstein i forget yeah, who it was or like to practice more that they need more practice or something yeah, like that. Like yeah. they would like to get which, rid of the 20 hour rule but yeah. also like you can agree which is that. like so also the like, other way <laughs> the the exact opposite direction of that but it is <laughs> um 
certainly an interesting discussion, which would get us into our next point. And if you're if you're listening here too, guys, um, we are going to get into more Washington stuff too. I just think this is a really important topic yeah. as we go into the game. What is your take on Jim Harbaugh's legacy? Well, he's done what people thought he was going to do. It took a little bit longer. Um, I think the way that they have performed on the back half of this season, speaking, I can't speak for everybody. There's always going to be, you know, capital H haters out there, um, which I think at this point you kind of have to be. But I think based on what I have seen in the back half of the season, I'm sure it probably helped, but I don't think that the Connor Stallions, uh, you know, the sign-stealing stuff meaningfully impacts how we view the rebuild at Michigan, right? It was a lot slower than people thought. It didn't go well there for a long time, but these last three seasons, I think what they've done in the last five or six games since firing him, since this has all kind of gone down, has validated what they have done these last three years and getting to two playoffs, winning the big 12, beating the crap out of Ohio state two years in a row, and then beating them this year in a close game. And then finally winning a playoff game. I don't think it's house money. I think you got to finish the drill here uh, on Monday night, but if you win that game, you know, it's hard to draw up a better scenario. If you hired Jim Harbaugh, what nine, 10 years ago, however long it was. I mean, if you could have bet, then that Michigan that Michigan was going to win a national championship under Harbaugh, I would have taken that bet. It's played out, you know, as obviously a slower start, but you know the intellectual brutality, the Stanford teams under Andrew Luck. These Michigan teams look a lot like those teams. They play a lot like those teams, uh, and so I think in terms of his legacy, he did what he was hired to do: um, is to rebuild Michigan and flip the rivalry. So you got to deserve credit, and I think that that's something that that he will be remembered for. The thing that I think is interesting too, Dave, is that if you would have asked me maybe three years ago or two years ago. You After know, the 2020 the tr- season? The quarterback trends that we had with Trevor Lawrence and mm-hmm. um, Tua and all these guys, you would almost have thought that the only way you could win a national championship in the new era of college football is to possess an offense and to play the way that Washington does and to have a quarterback that is a not only productive player in college, but a bona fide future NFL star. And the fact that Michigan was not only able to build the roster the way that they do it with without the crazy recruiting results, as we've talked about quite a bit, but also without changing their style and who they are, not a wholeheartedly like bringing in an offensive coordinator to play five wide every play and like that, like that intellectual brutality, the ghost of that is also how you would view Michigan's program for not just the Jim Harbaugh era, but before. They want to play hard. They want to play physical. They want to run down your throat. They want to be efficient. They want to make good decisions. They want to know who they are and play within who they are. And not only do they not change it, they prove that they could beat Alabama doing it that way. Mm-hmm. And the thing that we've always talked about with Nick Saban in Alabama is the ability to adapt and to create uh, and foster environments that are willing to move towards where the game is moving. And I'm not saying that Michigan hasn't done that, but Michigan is more like Michigan seven years ago than any other team probably is who they were seven years ago. And they're playing and probably going to win the national championship. I mean, I don't know people, everybody thinks they're going to win. So uh, we'll see what happens. You don't. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we'll we'll get to that, but it would be a really, really tough pill for them to swallow to make it this far through all the things that happened 
um, with their coach, you know, seemingly on the way out and then not um, get it done. But we'll see that. We'll see what happens on Monday. That's what makes us fun. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Here's another story that I wrote about this week. I don't know if you read it yet, but I wrote about Courtney Morgan. Mm -hmm. um, And he might be the architect behind um, some of the reason why this season has played out the way it has. Um, Courtney Morgan is the general manager of Washington football. He... Before arriving uh, in Seattle was the DPP, uh, the director of player personnel at Michigan. Sorry, I don't know why I'm rambling. Their chief job is to create a recruiting board, to get the right recruits in front of coaches, to build a strategy and foster an environment that brings players in to win a national championship. And this is the first time, um, even though recruiting staffers move around quite a bit, that I can recall where the national championship game is being played by two teams where the DPP on one team had a huge role mm-hmm. in bringing in talent for both teams that are playing. The closest uh, thing would probably be Scott Cochran flipping from Bama to Georgia, yeah. but that's a strength coach. You spend a lot of time with players, but you're not as integral, obviously, in building. You're probably, you don't have any role really in building the roster, but building bodies in the roster. But anyway, yeah, to your point, go ahead. So, but Courtney Morgan also isn't a stars person. It's not that he just went out and recruited a bunch of five-star prospects. Like he built a lot of Michigan's defense by scouting three-star prospects in California and other areas of the country, offering them before anybody else did in the power five, getting them on campus. And now like Mason Graham, who was a three-star prospect when they found him out of a uh, servite in Anaheim, is one of their best defenders uh, on the entire team and one of the best defensive linemen in the Big Ten and maybe the country. Um, And he's done that at multiple positions. He played an integral part in bringing Will Johnson, a five-star corner in from Detroit during a time in which it seemed like Ohio State had a chance to get him. And you think about, like, the sliding door impact of what that would have meant had he gone to Ohio State. Instead, you know, the history could have been different. Uh, Then he goes to Washington and brings in a bunch of the transfers. He's only been – he only spent one year at Michigan – but his one year at Michigan was the 2021 recruiting class, and that class might go down as one of the best recruiting classes in Michigan history. Uh, meanwhile, he's over at Washington's side now, bringing in transfers, bringing in pieces the last few years to make Washington what they are today as a uh, balanced and uh, experienced and older roster. It is a very interesting dynamic just to see him standing on the bleachers or sitting on the bleachers in like a black Adidas jumpsuit. Nobody who really is paying attention, knows who he is. Yet 20 minutes earlier, Mason Graham was sitting at that same exact spot with a Michigan jumpsuit on 
And it's like he is responsible for both. And I just thought it was a really cool mm-hmm. story and was happy to write it. It was a good story. Uh, it's an interesting angle. And uh, I enjoyed it, Ari. And I think, <clears throat> you know, I talked to a lot of coaches about this just in general. But roster building has changed so quickly. And it's still changing. That you those roles were pretty defined for like 20 years. And even as you built out the staff, the DPP role – the general manager role, it's sort of different. It's a lot of different places. They call it different things. Director of scouting. Or, well, there's a lot of different titles, but DPP is most most common phrase. Like that role is pretty much what it was for a long time. And now that role is so much more important as you fold collectives in, you fold the transfer portal in, scouting the portal. What are our percentages? And what does that mean? How does that change as our on-field circumstances change? That job is harder, more important. And it needs to be more nimble than it ever has been. And I think you're going to see those jobs become higher paying. Because for a lot of times, those jobs were taken up by guys like, oh, I want to be an on-field coach. Well, I could see a future in which that job, the GM job or the DPP job, ends up being higher paid than a lot of the on-field coaches. Because What if it becomes that- the thing that leads to general managers in the NFL? Well, we're like gonna. That, well, we're gonna. Oh, yeah. You talking about moving up to the NFL? Well, yeah, I mean, maybe. I think a lot, those jobs well, are still I mean, very different. So you got to take into account that ten years ago, those jobs were filled by two people making forty thousand dollars a year who sit in a cubicle, yes, or given more or less, given the title to the tight ends coach who has a a small responsibility as an on field coach who also is the recruiting coordinator. Like mm-hmm. now, if you go look at what Florida built, they've got like a hundred people working there. In the recruiting department, they have it's, it's gone from too. just <laughs> job title. Yeah, no, I know, but it's gone from job title. <laughs> it's the right way to um, do it, but yeah. to a large operation, and I think Ohio State probably played a lot to do uh, of impact in this because mm-hmm. Urban Meyer, when he made Mark Vantoni there, the I, mean, I don't think he's a GM or called the GM. Maybe he is now. I think but he's chief of staff now. He, All he these was, titles, like the way that they divvy up job responsibilities, is complicated. It varies a lot. But he was the first one to be put into a position where he had a staff. Um, and a lot has changed in the 10 years when you think about not just the rule changes, but the demand on evaluation, the NIL discussion, recruiting earlier on, um, you know, geographical responsibilities, but also yeah. setting up official visits, um, travel itineraries, approving, you know, which coaches are going to spend what time in what yeah. cities like it is Who do you need lot. to call today. Like, and they don't the get paid like, enough. Yeah. And that's an off season yeah. discussion. But mm-hmm. also, too, it's like Courtney Morgan is completely and utterly obsessed with the notion of um, building a football team and engrossing himself in his passion and finding diamonds in the rough. And and not just that, but building a functional football team. Yeah. That like that also plays into the NFL scouting and management departments because they have so much scouting and, you know, team building responsibility. So it went from, Low-level college staffer who cut highlights in, you know, helped with travel to like the main fixture of the talent accumulation phase, mm-hmm. um, and that is a very important job. And Urban Meyer back in the day used to say that Mark Pantone was the most important person on his staff. I'm assuming that Kalen DeBoer, um, who has got a very good relationship with Courtney Morgan and actually hired him away from Michigan, his alma mater where he played. Um, also understands that Washington would not be here without him. So mm-hmm. I think it's a really interesting, you know, you always look for these stories of like who has connections to who and like this yeah. is the most connected that you could possibly be because as Washington is preparing to try to figure out how to run offense against that monster defense, they're like 
scouting the players that Courtney Morgan scouted four years ago when they didn't have any P5 offers. And I think yeah. that's really, really cool. All right. I don't want to go down this rabbit hole like as a whole, but something you said was interesting to me, you know, as we sort of think about staffs and how they're composed for a long time. And I agreed with this. You know, when a coach would say the most important person on our staff, they'd point to the strength coach for a lot of reasons. They have a lot more contact with players. And if you're a developmental program, you have to build bodies. You get freshmen in there. You have to change their bodies. A lot of them haven't been involved in a nutrition, a weight program. It's very integral in a lot of different ways. It's very important. Is the, without diving into a five-minute discussion about this, more a simple answer. Do you think the prominence of the strength coach and the the quality of the strength coach and the necessity and how much they're paid and how integral they are, do you feel like that's going down as we get more transient rosters where you can't really build guys' bodies because they might be in your program a year and a half? They might be well, having I think, key guys in your roster come on and, and be there for you know a year. Guys, coming I think in the and importance out of the strength coach um, in the past used to be like he was the head coach's right-hand man. Mm-hmm. And would be with the players in the off season when the coach a wasn't allowed more. to coach with them, mm-hmm. like knew and understood the personnel during the dark times in the off season than the coaches dark times did because where the coach wasn't watching practice. This on film wasn't watching. Yes. wasn't watching workouts. But anyway, <laughs> also is just with them a lot more, regardless yes. of whether someone was cheating Absolutely. or not. Yeah. Um, but I think that the strength coach's prominence now is based on nutrition and proper workouts and translating. Um, the way that these guys lift into strength that you find on the field and not to go back to the Courtney Morgan discussion, but he said something to me and I think I put it in the story of when he's analyzing talent, you know, they're not just looking at how much you can bench press. It's how much of that weight that you do bench press translates to strength in playing the game because there isn't a one-to-one correlation between I can bench 400 pounds which means I'm a better defensive tackle than somebody who only benches 330. There's yeah. technique, there's explosiveness, there's there's motor, there's heart. There's all sorts of things that go into evaluating a player. And um, Mason Graham might not have been the strongest person in high school, and Mason Graham might still not be the strongest player on his team. I don't know, maybe he is now, but he wasn't then. Played with a with a motor and an intensity where the strength translated more. And the reason why I went back into that is because I think the coaches that design the strength and conditioning programs of these teams have to employ workout routines and exercises and plans and and nutrition that create and foster the most translation to playing football. It's the reason why sometimes I think the combine is stupid. It's like I don't care how much how fast somebody can run without pads on. I'd rather take somebody who runs a four, four with pads on, um, then somebody who runs a four, three, uh, without pads on and runs a four, five with pads on like the, the game translates differently. So it's just a interesting thing because, and also too, what about injury prevention and injury rehab? Like if you're a coach that's in a position, um, and a lot of your players get injured, or they're out for longer periods of time than other people do. Like that's also on the strength and conditioning staff. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I take it as like their importance is going down because the players on the team aren't with them for three or four years to translate their bodies. But I do think that having the right strength coach in place in terms of motivation and body uh, maintenance 
and workouts that translate to actual football is a huge part of the game for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and isn't you, diminishing in importance. Yeah. Tilting back to the game, there's been a lot of conversation about Dylan Johnson since he went down and yeah. his unfortunate injury sort of cracked the window for Texas that they weren't quite able to squeeze through. That was crazy. Uh, and that would have been terrible if that was a huge reason why Washington uh, lost that game. You'd feel bad for the kid. But sounds like he's going to play. Sounds like he's not 100%. You've been down there. What do you make of that situation and and its impact on Monday night? Well, I think it has a huge impact. I actually think that if Dylan Johnson, that play didn't happen, that the, the spread of the game would be different. Like, I think that Washington having a running – because they don't have a lot of great depth there. Yeah. I think I, I read somewhere or heard that the Washington backup running back that would have to play if, if Dylan can't go has like 80 carries on the season and it isn't a very big – fixture of this offense. Mm-hmm. And I know that Washington is a pass first team. And I know that we talked a little bit about inability to salt away games this week because they struggle at times to run when the opponent knows they're running. Dylan Johnson's a really, really good football player. And if we could learn anything from Texas, it's how much losing a player like that can mean for your offense and the functionality of it. I mean, I think you could make the case that if Jonathan Brooks never got injured against TCU this year, the Texas would be here right now. And they're not. Yeah, they're, so, Will Nixon, actually, are you overstated? Will Nixon is a sophomore, 31 carries this year. Yeah, yeah, Tybo, yeah. I thought Tybo 85 Rogers, sounded, yeah. Tybo Rogers has 43, so together they have 74. And you and were on Dylan the field Johnson's last week long. in New it Orleans. Bad. Like, you was, said he I couldn't was, even walk. No, I was, so I, so it happened. I, I, so I was on the sidelines, and I thought to myself, the only thing that can't happen here is a Washington player gets hurt. That's the only way that Texas can sort of stay in this. You thought that before it happened? I literally did. I literally did. So you're did. like, uh, you're doing some it's weird me. mind tricks? Yes, it's on me. So I, I literally had that thought because I was like, I was like, man, I was like, this is kind of winding down. I was like, it should be 12 to 15 seconds. I was like, the only thing that can save them is if a player gets hurt. And sure enough, Dylan Johnson's rolling around. So it takes a while. He's clearly in a lot of pain. They can't get him off the field. He needs a ton of help. He had two people helping him off. They get him into the tent. I was probably 10 feet, 15 feet away when I was watching this. And so since then, Kalen DeBoer has said that it's re-aggravation of like a previous injury, but like he hasn't missed a lot of time. It's very confusing. I, I don't know. Maybe he's been playing through like a high ankle. I, I thought at the time it was a knee. I guess it's more an ankle. They're obviously being purposely vague because there's no injury reports and college football doesn't make sense. We're playing the biggest game of the year and a big player. We don't really know exactly what his injury is, but it's a lower leg. Sure. Uh, Just leg. I think he'll dress. Leg. Yeah. Yeah, sure. He'll dress out. I mean, we had this last year. Kendra Miller didn't play for TCU. I think, you know, obviously if Kendra Miller plays in that game, Ari, I think probably TCU wins it. You'd probably agree with that, right? Yeah, I mean, I and think so, you would say that he's the difference yeah, uh, with what happened out there. Yeah, I'm so, with you on that. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, uh, so we've kind of been through this, but it's 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 uh, it's an interesting situation because there is so little behind him. I think he'll suit up. I'm sure he will try to play. And how effective he can be, I don't think we'll know until. Well, Monday, I mean, even so. if he plays and he's seventy percent, that doesn't solve the issue here. They need explosiveness. Yeah, I'm not sure. And, seventy percent, like, Dylan. Johnson but even seventy percent, like it's like okay. Well, I mean, that's that's a. I think that he's going to play. I don't think that he'll be a hundred percent. I would not be shocked if he didn't finish the game. And yes, I also don't think that a seventy percent Dylan Johnson is immeasurably better than whatever they have fully healthy yeah. behind him. Like you said, Tybo Rogers and Will Nixon. 
Um, neither have carried the ball more than 50 times this year and both have fewer than 200 rushing yards. Well, it's like last um, year, you know, Blake Corum tried and tried and tried to yeah, keep playing. And it kind of reminds me just of like, that a little bit. Yeah, just like it's not working. And you know you can do everything right during the week. You can do all your rehab, and then you're going to carry one time during the game, and you're going to know. Like Corum knew. Like, you know, it, it's no skin off of his back. Physiology yeah. is what physiology is. Your body is just not going to let you play. And so we'll see. I, I think we'll know in the first quarter. Like I said, I'll be shocked if he doesn't dress out. I think he'll give it a go just because he'll try and he can, you know, they seem to be very confident that this is going to be the case. But uh, Come on, I think you'll know very quickly. Let Booby spin. Come on, coach. <laughs> Come on, yeah. coach. Put Booby yeah. in. Let Booby spin. Um, <laughs> I hope that this, uh, I hope he's 100%. I want to see a great Me game. too. I want to um, see his teams at full strength. He's not going to be, but I, you know, if you have a lot of, uh, you know, if you happen to have like healing powers or some kind of a health power up that you can get Dylan Johnson to help the world of college football, get down to Houston. Maybe that's maybe yeah. you just got to go eat some Spanish flowers tortillas the ex- and then his ankle will be better. The exact opposite of what you did, which is think positive thoughts rather than injury thoughts on the field. I didn't you know, think you him. That. I just thought the only way Texas can have a shot to do this is if the injury. <laughs> I literally thought that like and it almost literally happened, yeah. the play before. Yes. Well, no, it did happen. It, or no, I mean, no. I mean, the, yeah, it did happen, but it almost resulted in a, in a win. Seconds, the difference between 15 seconds and 50 seconds is enormous. Massive. Yeah. massive. So, All right. The second segment here are our interviews with uh, uh, Michigan beat writer Austin Meek. We have the AP's Ralph Russo and Washington Post Chuck Culpepper. We're not going to play these videos now, but they are on our channel. So if you want to go watch them after we're done here, they're already up and loaded. I caught up with them for five to seven minutes just to talk about the game. And the thing I liked about talking to all three of those guys was they all had unique perspectives on the game coming at it from a different angle. If anybody knows anything about Chuck Culpepper, his mind does not work the way that everyone else's does in the most beautiful way. Um, He's one of those where you read something and you're just like, I need to quit. (laughs) I reread the, (laughs) the farewell to the PAC 12 column he wrote um, today actually. And it was, uh, let me tell you something. Uh, It was a thing of beauty. But also Austin Meek being somebody who, um, you know, covers the team very well for Michigan. And then uh, mm-hmm. Ralph Russo, AP, who has a, a full scope of the entire sport because he's writing about everybody. I thought it was a good mix. If you're mm-hmm. listening to this in podcast form, we'll kick it to the interviews now. Um, if you're not, we will. Uh, you can go get those on the channel. We're now joined by Austin Meek, Michigan beat writer for The Athletic. And did you ever think you were going to be in this building for the national championship game the last few years? I did not think so. If you told me this three or four years ago that we'd be here today, uh, I think I would have thought you were crazy. Uh, but excited for it. I think it's going to be a good matchup. I think it's going to be a really good game on Monday. You know, when I think about this matchup, Austin, I think like very conflicting styles. You've got one team that's kind of, you know, the elite level of what every Big Ten West team wishes they could be, which is you know, great on the lines, explosive on offense, great quarterback, but also very tough. Meanwhile, on the other side, you have a team that can throw it all over the field and does so uh, with ease, even on fourth down. It's kind of a conflicting style game, and how do you think those usually match up when, when Michigan's been involved in them? Yeah, I think the clash of styles is part of what makes this a really interesting matchup. I don't think Michigan's faced a team like Washington. I'm not sure Washington's faced a team like Michigan. Uh, Michigan tends to play well against teams that are more finesse teams. I wouldn't 
I wouldn't necessarily say Washington is a finesse team, but they're not as big maybe as some other teams that, that Michigan has played this year. I think Michigan's plan is going to be to run to the ball, try to be physical. I mean, that's Michigan's bread and butter all the time. Um, but I think Washington's going to throw some things at Michigan that Michigan hasn't seen this year, starting with Michael Penix. What do you think the key to the game is? I think Michigan's got to get pressure on Michael Penix, uh, similar to what Michigan did against Jalen Milrow. If they let him stand back there, I think he's going to pick him apart. So they got to get pressure on, on Michael Penix. Uh, I think Michigan has to force a couple turnovers. I also think Michigan has to be uh, aggressive on offense. Michigan, I think, has to go into this game thinking they need to score 30. Sometimes Michigan's offense can run kind of hot and cold, uh, but I think Michigan needs to come out from the start and be really aggressive on offense. Yeah, well, it's so funny to think because, like, in – college football playoff scenarios in the past I've always thought if you don't score for 38 41 you're probably going to lose but Michigan has been put in a position where that hasn't been the case even in an overtime game last week they didn't have to get into the 40s um, what do you think it is about Michigan's coaching their players and everything that they've done that kind of has helped them avoid the status quo when it comes to getting to the stage I mean everything they've done has been kind of the exception to the rule yeah, I mean, P.J. Fleck earlier this year compared Michigan to a, to a boa constrictor. And it really is true that Michigan can slow down the game. And when Michigan gets a lead, it's really hard to, to come back on this Michigan team because the defense is so good. The Rose Bowl was 20-20 to 20 going into overtime, and that is unusual for a playoff game. But, but Michigan can win those games. Uh, I expect this to be a higher-scoring game. I think this will be a game in the 30s at least. I think Michigan needs to approach it that way. Uh, but Michigan does have the ability to control the ball, limit possessions, slow down the game in the way we haven't really seen from a, from a national champion in, in recent history. What is something about this game that you have found out or you think while covering it maybe that just isn't what you're going to hear on the radio or in a podcast? Like, Is there something that you think people are missing? Well, it's kind of a difficult question, but you know, something else to it like on, on how to analyze it? Well, if there's a player that I think would be fun to watch, just like for a casual fan watching this game, uh, Will Johnson from Michigan I think is a really interesting player. Cornerback, five-star recruit. Uh, you love that, Ari, right? One of the five-star mm-hmm. recruits on this roster. Uh, really talented player. He's been hurt this year. He didn't play the first three games. I just talked to him. He said he hasn't really felt healthy until the Rose Bowl. So we haven't really seen the best of Will Johnson this season. Uh, he still had a really good year. Uh, he's going to probably be defending the best wide receiver for Washington, Roma Dunze. I think that's going to be a really compelling matchup. Like, I would like to be able to just watch those guys go at it on every snap because I think that's going to be a war. Yeah, that's going to be when you get good on good like that in a game like this, that type of matchup. Um, I think the story of the day or a lot of people are talking about Jim Harbaugh, um, what he's built here, obviously, but also his future. Um, I know that's kind of a sticky situation because there are two games before the national championship game, but like, what is your perspective on, on where Michigan stands with their head coach? Well, I think the question on everybody's mind is going to be, is is this it for Jim Harbaugh? If he wins the national championship, will he ride off into the sunset, go back to the NFL, win or lose? Is this it for Jim Harbaugh? I don't think anybody knows the answer to that question right now. I certainly think it's it's a possibility. He's, he's explored the NFL. He's been very close to leaving Michigan before. There's some jobs open that I think would, would be tempting for him. If Michigan wins the national championship, Jim Harbaugh can say that he accomplished everything that he set out to accomplish at Michigan. It feels like this might be the time, uh, but nobody really knows. I I think it's certainly possible that he'll be back too. Uh, But I'm I'm ready for another month of January of basically just chasing Jim Arbaugh rumors, which is like every January on the Michigan beat. 
Well, it's good for numbers, but I really appreciate you, Austin. I'll let you get back to work and looking forward to the game, and hopefully we'll have you on uh, moving forward. All right. Thanks, brother. All right. Thanks, man. Okay, now joining the show is the AP's godfather, my nemesis, best friend, Ralph Russo. How are you doing today, Ralph? Doing wonderful, Ari. It's always great to see you in person. So before the season started, I'm just going to cut right into brass tacks. We're going to do this quickly. You picked Alabama to win a national championship based on the way that I view the sport, which is how could a team that has that many good players not win? Obviously, you know, Alabama is an entirely different story with the way things went. But here we are in Houston for the national championship game, and we got two teams that are outside of that high threshold. What is your analysis of how this went this year, and are you surprised that we're in this position? So I, I, I'm hesitant to say that this is the beginning of a trend because I see Michigan and Washington as these two teams that are um, you know, seem a little bit anomalies because of all the experience. In fact, Ari, like I'm, a lot, I'm a good deal older than you. This feels old school to me. This is the way sometimes national championships were decided in the 80s and 70s and even maybe right. into the 90s, where you had teams cycle up, have a bunch of upperclassmen who all hit, and then they're really good, and then those upperclassmen cycle out, exactly. and teams take a step back. That's been distorted over the years, in recent years, because these teams are, as you call them, and I call them super teams, right? You're recruiting so well that you don't need experience because you have just a, a wealth of talent. So I'm a little with you, and like, I don't know, it'd be interesting to see if this maybe becomes a trend with the transfer portal and NIL keeping kids around a little longer, but I'm hesitant to think of this as a trend. I think it was a confluence of events. That's really interesting. I actually had never thought about that, Ralph. The, the notion that kids used to go to a school, they would redshirt, learn the playbook, get bigger, gain experience, and maybe by their sophomore or junior years be ready to play. And now you have all these six-year seniors on Washington's team. You've got players with experience on Michigan's team. I feel like this can't be a trend because people leave so frequently now. Well, it's also it's the recruiting industrial complex. The kids who are coming into school now – these, especially the five stars and the four stars that you love, they are ready to play. Right. That wasn't the case in the 80s. Like Even the best high school players were not ready to play because we, they weren't at seven-on-sevens and they, weren't, they didn't have personal trainers. So everything has been accelerated in the sport. However, if you can get a bunch of fifth-year fifth guys and in this case six-year guys, right. that's going to balance out while... Alabama is trying to figure it out with its young blue chippers. Michigan, they got it all figured out, right? And that was essentially what separated those two teams last week. I think Michigan was a little better at problem solving, right? I think their experience really came through. And certainly the same thing with Washington. I mean, they look like a team that's been together for a while because they are. But again, like I don't know once the COVID year blows out, I don't know if that's a sustainable trend as much as it's just, hey, we got this interesting season where the super teams were just a little down and these super experienced teams were able to trump them. Well, I've just been asking everybody, Ralph, and I'm going to ask you, what's your take on this game? How do you view it? Um, what's your analysis? And maybe something that you see that other people don't because you have such a unique view of sport. Well, listen, man, first of all, I've been wrong on both of these teams for a lot. I, yeah, I, all I, of us have. Yeah, I mean, I picked again. I picked Ohio State. I picked I picked Alabama. I picked Oregon twice. So what the hell do I know? I think I've brainwashed you a little bit. A li well, again, I have brainwashed you a little bit. You see the, see the sport through a similar lens. You're just more fanatical about it. Um, <laughs> I love that word, fanatical. Uh, here, here's what I would say. I don't think Michigan's come this far to lose. 
I do, and and I do worry about a team like Washington giving up 480 yards and winning, like they did last week against Texas. Like I just bad defense or shaky defense is sticky. That usually shows up, and there's only so many times you can ask your defense, "Hey, just get that one big stop." Like at a certain point, before they don't. Before they, at a certain yeah. point, you don't. So I think I, I think this is the point where Washington has a hard time getting that one big stop. I will say that super interesting contrast in styles, obviously, because I think Washington's opponents end up playing like Washington, and I think Michigan makes its opponents play like Michigan. So which one dictates the the style? Yes. Okay. Is there anything about this game that you've thought? I'm gonna ask everybody this. Like it's been a very hard game to analyze because of that reason, Ralph. Is there an angle that you took or a thing that you think that might be a little bit different that you're kind of workshopping through that you can share with us? Or is it just kind of like who, which style is going to win? I don't know if I'm workshopping through. I do find I think we underrated how good Michigan was defending the pass. I know their defense is good, but I'm like, like narrow it down. Their pass defense is really good. So I think that interesting strength on strength, right? I mean, like can they – they are really good at getting pressure – Penix is completely unfazed by pressure. It's not even that that they didn't have any sacks last week. Texas got some pressure. It didn't matter. Like Penix, when you get pressure on him, he just sort of like, you know, shrugs it off. So I don't know if I'm breaking any new ground on that, but that interesting strength on strength, the best passing game in the country against maybe the best pass defense. But as Brock Eward, the former Husky and the guy on, you know, Fox analyst told me, you know, Michigan has not seen anything like this. Throughout the entire season, they had never faced an offense like this. Yeah, and, and and you say this too, and I agree. This is another place where you and I agree. In college football, offense tends to win out. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like I think Michigan has to win this game with offense. The idea that Michigan's going to shut down Washington, that ain't, that's not going to yeah, happen. Where Michigan will win this game is by running for 250 yards and JJ goes off. Like I think they have the ability to have their best offensive game of the season. Well, Ralph, I really appreciate you. We talked five minutes without trying to strangle each other, which is an improvement. Um, we're probably going to be talking quite a bit into the offseason, and you're one of the best guests on the show, so I appreciate you joining us and enjoy the game. Thanks, Ari. You guys do a great job. Yeah, appreciate you, Ralph. Thank you. All right, Ari Wasserman here with Chuck Culpepper from the Washington Post, the best sports writer on the face of the earth, and I mean that. What are all your beats? Colleges, Kentucky Derby, tennis sometimes. World Cups, Olympics, a little bit of golf. I couldn't remember that, guys, but I will say that you wrote a story from an event that I was at six weeks ago, the Pac-12 championship game in Vegas. You wrote a farewell to the Pac-12, and I read that story, and I thought about selling insurance. It was so well written. I don't know how a how does your brain work. If you haven't read that story, go to the Washington Post, subscribe to it, read it. Thank you. It's like next level brain function. Like, what was your process writing that? I don't take compliments very well. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Um, over several days thinking about it, and then thinking about it, you know, to, to address directly to the Pac-12, as in goodbye to you, I love you kind of deal. Yeah. Um, I love you because on in childhood, you showed me sunshine on January 1st. California sunshine, not just sunshine, California sunshine. And um, you showed me a lot of pizzazz and verve when teams did not play so much with that. You know, and all those running teams from the Big Ten Mm -hmm. would go out there and lose. Um, And uh, so 
as the more I thought about it, the more it became a being rather than a set of teams, like an actual, not a human being, but a, a, living, a living being, a living thing. being. Yeah. So that's why I have you on here. We're at the national championship game in Houston, and I've been asking other sports writers who think like me what they think of the game, and who's going to win. You know, what do you think about the stars thing, the recruiting? I just want to talk to you about the being of this game. Can we try that? The being. What of is game. what is it that stands out to you being here in Houston? Football or not, that you know goes through your mind as you're preparing to cover this game. The being of the matchup, the being of the matchup, the being of Houston, the being of the game, all of it, whatever, it's, wherever your mind takes you. It's the first time absence of the South since of any Southern team since I met you in 2014-15 when Ohio right. State and Oregon played in the first one. That's what strikes me. So there's a freshness about it. It's um, we had a lot of Alabama, a lot of Clemson. They were often great. We've had a lot of Georgia. Um, in, in these finals, you know, but um, and Georgia, Alabama was pretty close, but this is fresh and new and purple and blue, yeah, shiny. Write that down, <laughs> or you probably will just remember it. Um, yeah, we met for you listening. We met in 2014 at the college football playoff semifinal in New Orleans, Ohio State, Alabama, and we were both working on a similar story or talking to similar people. Can you believe it's been 10 years? And looking back at that 10-year period, Chuck, there's been a lot of change. And I was, oh, I was thinking this morning, I've been to 10 of these now. Yeah. Remember when it was an all a shiny new thing? Right. 10 of these, 10 different cities, you know? Incredible. I can't believe it. So, yeah, it's a completely different sport, right? It's, um, it's Nancy Skinner from California, the state senator who introduced that bill to for NIL that then swept the land. Mm -hmm. That was in 19, I think she did that. Um, One of the least likely people to change college football, but that's what it takes. It often takes the outside person to to do that. It's it's that the realignment that I think everyone dreads, right? And just, you know, no one wanted to see the Pac-12 dissolve. And so there's always been realignment, but this this seems more jarring. And it's got this future that it's gone wild. And it's got this future that nobody can predict. But we've all we've earned this stage because we all enjoyed it for so many years while this great injustice was going on, which is that the people generating the revenue were not paying yes. for that. This un-American justice was going on for a hundred and some years. So now we're paying for that. Well, let me ask you this, Chuck. Do you think that the chaos of all the evolution of the last three years is worth the newness? That we're getting this year and in the future? I do. And I, you mean the newness in terms of this game? This or game or yeah. what it means for, you know, the expanded playoff or new shiny matchups that we haven't been getting the last 10 years? Yep. Do you think all this, like, I don't know how to think about it in, like, literary terms the way you would, but, like, the, the, the rattling of the cages a little bit. It is. And surprises me because I thought it would work the other way, that the rich would dominate, you know, and, and, and the freshness would be gone and be the same teams all the time. It's gone the other way, and Sonny Dykes said this last year. It's a very important comment, I think. Um, you're going to see more of these fresh teams because of the transfer portal and because of what, how that helps some teams to improve when they need to and that helps some teams to decline when they, they should. When they should. Yeah. All right, lastly, and then I'll let you out of here, Chuck. I want a prediction of the game and what, why you think that. I am leaning Washington, and I think it's because um, the – that offense, even while it's probably lower percentage the way they try to function um, than, than the way Michigan functions, I just think it's so precise. 
And I think the Michigan-Alabama game may have been a big, big, uh, exhausting matter. So I'm leaning Washington because they can't seem to lose no matter how often it seems like they're about to. Well, there you have it. I'm not sure if the camera shut off, but if it did, then we'll try another time. That was Chuck Culpepper, the best sports writer in America. Thanks so much, Chuck. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, we're back from the interviews with those three, and we really appreciate them joining the show. We're going to get to the most fun part of the show now, which is hearing your wonderful voices, your voicemails, your thoughts, your feelings. And we will be doing this much, much more into the offseason as we get more time. Um, But we wanted to play at least a few as we headed into the national championship game on Monday. First, um, I think, is a reader text. Ari talks a ton. This is from Brian L uh, via the athletic. Ari talks a ton about how teams are built quote unquote in terms of recruiting, but still this Michigan team was built, not really to beat Milrow in Alabama, but it's to beat elite skill wide receivers and great passing quarterbacks. Is this Washington offense better or worse than 2021, 2022 Ohio state with CJ Stroud, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Marvin Harrison, Jr. And Emeka Egbuka. I thought this was a very interesting question. Um, I'd say worse, right? Um, I think the talent cumulatively has to be worse. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I think the way they execute it is worse. I think that Washington gets a bigger, better grade for um play design. I think Washington oh, yeah. gets a better grade for situational play calling. Mm-hmm. I think Washington gets a better grade on executing even when it looks like the play is breaking down. And I do think that it's an interesting dichotomy because Ohio State, for all the talent that they had there that you listed, to me, never played peak football. They have nothing to show for those players. And that's a hard thing to say. I mean, the Georgia game was close, right? The Georgia game was pretty close. If you think that the Georgia game is close is like paying off the talent that they have. For the no, people I'm talking who watch the team. No, I'm talking about that game was close to the peak version of them. Yes. Doing that against was. that Georgia and that, defense. Yeah. And had Ohio State played that way against Michigan a month ago. They, they, they might not have had to play Georgia. They might not have had to play Georgia. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, that. But I do think that I would take the players on the, wash, on the uh, Ohio State side. I would take the coaching, play design, aggressiveness, uh, sh- just knowing who you are and everything that Washington mm-hmm. does over them. But the question is, is, and I said this before the season, and I'm wrong about this, but I said Michigan is more well 
are more built to win the Big Ten and beat Ohio State than it is to win a national championship. And I thought that was an apt point. Like, they know how to beat Ohio State. Obviously, Jim Harbaugh owns real estate in Ryan Day's head, and that has come to fruition on the field. Um, and then when they play Georgia or Alabama in a neutral site game in the playoff, then that will rear its ugly head because they don't have the athletes. Mm-hmm. That's wrong. That's wrong. I think that Michigan is actually built to beat anybody. Um, you know, we're talking about two con- very different teams here. The Washington team that showed up or that shows up in Houston is much different than the Alabama team that showed up last week. Um, and I think they're able to beat both. I mean, what is your take on that? I, I, we still haven't seen this Michigan team this year against an elite offense. And I think you're right. I think that was a good way to put it, comparing uh, that sort of two-year amalgamation of Ohio State talent and what Michigan did to them. But they just bullied them on the line and kept those guys off the field a lot of the time. I think in general... And what do you think they're going to try to do now? Well, sure, they'll try to do that. But my point is, I don't know that you're guaranteed to slow them down. This group has not played anything close to an offense like this. And so I'm very curious how they can match up. There's certainly experience there, past experience, uh, all of those things in previous years. But this team, as currently composed, has not done that. And I think you look at the the advanced numbers, look at some advanced numbers from uh, Michigan's DBs. It's pretty impressive. You know, Will yeah. Johnson um, saying we're still those guys. Not to belabor the point, Ari, I've been saying it since like October. I look at those numbers and I say that's impressive. But then I look at, who they play. <laughs> I'm just I'm gonna like, go to the bathroom while Dave goes on a offenses. Big Ten West rant, everyone. I'm just saying, Ari. I'm just saying. Like, I think to take anything that you have seen this year from that secondary and apply it to what that means for how they play this trio of receivers and Jack Westover and Michael Penix, I think is a fool's errand. I think they can slow them down, but I think it's gonna be a new challenge in a different league because again. It is impressive to beat Alabama and compete with them in the way that they did in the trenches. But it's the same thing we've been saying about Alabama all year. They don't have a precision passer. They don't have skill position talent. They don't have a back that can really beat you up. They have average backs. They have sort of above average receivers, no elite guy. And Jalen Milrow, they figured out how to use him. And he was, you know, the way that he uses his legs opens things up downfield. Jalen Milrow you know, is still very limited as a passer. You know, go ask Auburn what that looks like. So I just think it doesn't really translate. It's just a t- completely different challenge than what they face against Alabama. Alabama, yeah, I also what they think did too is that it's a little bit more right, but this is different. It's a little bit more complex too, because the question here and the, the OG Brown here um, posted this on the chat here. And if we could put that up, the idea that Michigan can't play in a shootout is so overblown. Michigan can put 50 when needed. But they intentionally yeah. stick to a clock management style because it utilizes all their strengths. Can I think they? we've seen Michigan score fifty a lot against overmatched opponents. I don't yeah. think we've seen Michigan score fifty against on really short good teams fields. Very often. On short yeah. fields, it should be noted. Uh, but I do think that the the defense and the way he said Michigan is be, uh, was built to beat those teams. He didn't say Michigan was built to defend those teams, Dave. So you also have to take into yeah. account that maybe Michigan's offense. Um, shows up in this game, controls the ball on the ground very much, and then Penix just doesn't have as many possessions. But which I, I, reference I, think this, an, I reference this in the in the in the preview show, Ari. What percent chance would you put a Michigan victory 
if they are down double digits at any point in the first half? Twenty. Um, I mean, they were twenty, probably. I mean, but I would do that for anybody in a national title game. I mean, being I down do double that. digits. No, the odds would be much higher if you had an if you had a better offense, a, a offense capable yeah. of explosive plays that can turn a game in a second. And one of these teams in this game has that. And one of these teams has a reliable quarterback that can make plays down the field and flip a game in a hurry. And they don't have that. So I think this is going to be a very game script dependent game where if Michigan gets up early, I think both teams will be comfortable and I think it'll be a close game. Like Washington, if they go down double digits, I'd still say 40, 35%, depending on context in the first half of them coming back. Well, just a matter of whether or not you still subscribe to the notion that you have to have big, big offense to win a national championship. Maybe not quarterback, but big offense. You have to have big, big offense, but you need to have a capable offense. I think Michigan has a capable offense that has been good enough to this point. And it'll be up to their offensive line and their defense for how good their offense has to be in this game. They're capable. Average points per game is 26 against ranked opponents. Thanks, Cam. I appreciate you giving us that stat. Um, I do think that there is this notion that they are built to beat Ohio State but weren't built to win the college football playoff. And then funny enough, they're not playing Georgia right now. They're playing a team that has offense like Ohio State has had. So mm-hmm. I think that would make me feel better. It's not like they're going to be facing a team with these players that have insane snap counts like that are unfamiliar with the skill position talent as if they haven't played Marvin yeah. Harrison a month ago. If like they they're were, not going to be like, were playing it's not like Georgia they're unfamiliar. Team, yeah, if they were playing a Georgia team, though, with Carson Beck and Brock Bowers and Dom Lovett and Ra-Ra Thomas and those guys, I mean, I wouldn't like their odds at all in that game uh, for a but lot of But that's because of the whole whole picture. Well, that's yeah, that's picture. what I'm saying. This is an interesting game. I I, I think it's going to be very game script heavy, but but Georgia is a more complete team. I mean, we don't need to I think that we're going to probably have a pretty good notion of who's going to win this game by middle of the second quarter. I think you're probably right, actually. That's an interesting. That's a that's a good point. I think that's that's probably true. Uh, because if they're if 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 Michigan's getting six to eight yards a clip every time they're just turning around and hand it to Corum, say goodnight. It's done. Yeah, it's yeah. done. You got to have to adjust or do something. But if that's happening, that's going to be tough to change, and that is going to be a problem. If Romo Dunze and Jalen McMillan and Jalen Polk and Jack Westover they can't cover them down the field. But you're going to have to score 50 to win the game. Well, let me ask so you we'll this, and then out. we have to move on. But, Dave, let's say both of these things happen. Mm-hmm. Michigan's getting eight yards a clip, running the ball on offense. Washington can't stop them. And Michigan's secondary can't cover those receivers, and they are just Michigan throwing wins. all over Michigan. Michigan Who wins. wins? Because it's, Michigan does. Because that's just way more reliable. You can control the clock a little bit more that way. Then you, when that's happening, you open up everything else down the field, so then Michigan's going to start hitting some big plays on the field. If you're running the ball that well, that's, that's, that's a wrap. Or it might Washington come down to turnovers, their, too. Yeah, Because Washington sometimes teams that run points. the ball really well, six yeah. or eight, You know, if you're pounding the ball, the, the chances of turning it over – on a fumble increase too, if you're like controlling the oh, game well. clock that way. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess I mean, ask you Texas can how that works out. I mean, they were moving yeah. the ball on the ground no problem last week and lost because they kept not like it over. that. Not like we're talking. about. I mean, they they were well, moving the ball quite easily on them. I it wasn't it was like Texas for 180, so it was it was good. It wasn't like just getting absolutely hammered. They it didn't strike me as Texas were. wasn't able to move the ball at all in that game. Well, Texas didn't lean enough on their running game. I thought that live, and then when we were doing that coaches. Uh, confidential. A lot of the coaches we talked to were like, "What was Texas doing? Just run the ball. What are you doing?" Yeah. So, UM anyway. scoring fifty via six touchdowns against an overpowered yes. defense is not the UM winning in a shootout. 
and that's it's short a, fields. You're getting the ball at midfield because you you yeah. pin them at the twenty, and then it's fourth and sixteen, and they punt it, and you run it. You right, know. Let's go to the next question, Dave. Yeah. Hey, Ari and Dave, this is Lee and Charlotte uh, calling about the Ari tour of shame. I still think Ari's right. I know that he's been asking the question like, how can a team that has the highest ranking or second highest ranking of anybody lose? And I, I think the thing that's being kind of overlooked here is not all recruiting classes are the same. And ordinarily, those differences are off by, you know, a little bit, not orders of magnitude. But on top of, you know, the, the COVID year extending the careers of of current players, you're, the high school players there missed essentially two years of development. You see it a lot in college basketball especially. So I think there's a lot of misevaluation that has gone on with those classes that are now, you know, whereas you get a five-star and instead of having Kamara, you have somebody on Alabama who, who really can't play. And I think part of that might just be misevaluation that would otherwise have been caught. Here's what I was wrong about, and I don't know if I've said it as um, bluntly as I'm going to say it now. Mm-hmm. I'm not wrong that stars matter. Stars matter. They will continue to matter. The teams with the most good players will continue to win. What I'm wrong about was how I lacked context and was steadfast about the impossibility of it happening. I cannot act like it's impossible that a team like Michigan can win the national championship. But that's a new development, we would agree. I know, and I and I would have said it was impossible a month ago. I think I did on the show. It's not impossible. Michigan has proved me wrong. I can't continue to move forward in this space acting as if you if you have all these great players um, on one side, but they weren't ranked as high, that you can't overcome the freakish nature of a super roster team because Michigan has yeah. proven that, and they will in the NFL draft. Now, the thing that I think is interesting, because I was actually talking to Dave Repson from the Big Ten Network in the, in the workroom mm-hmm. last night. I don't know him. He goes, well, Michigan's going to have 20 or 20 or 15 draft picks. And it's like, yes, I knew that. We all knew that. But the thing that you also have to take into account, too, with the NFL draft is it's kind of the same way as you do in the recruiting rankings. Having a lot of second and third day draft picks is not the same as having six Mm -hmm. or seven first round picks like some of these super teams have had. Um, And those first round picks play at such a high level. Even a team with 14 to 20 draft picks on it can still lose to a team that has six or seven first round picks. And 20 draft picks, which is how, so like to me, my number one thing um, this year isn't like in the off season, when we have discussions about this season, I'm going to be more curious on how Alabama managed to have a team that was built the way it was on paper, have so many holes than I am going to be about the transcendent nature of Michigan's accomplishment. Like, I think that like Michigan's accomplishment is great, but it's not nearly as puzzling as what happened to, to Alabama this year. Yeah, I think we I mean, we call this out in the preseason, all right? Every single Alabama offensive position had issues. And Milrow grew up, and he's still limited, but he was a great player. Impact, he grew into an impact player. That was the most important position. But the offensive line, tons of issues. Receiver, a lot of issues. Backs, just okay. Now, as far as the question, there's not one thing, right? But I think that there is so much change happening that all of these things matter. The COVID year matters. Uh, the portal, how you bring guys snap in, counts. who you keep, snap counts, those matter. What is Ages. it? Michigan's got yeah. 3,000 more snaps on their team or whatever. In Alabama, I got to look at, uh, yeah. Manny did the research. I think yeah. that, I think that, uh, 
it's not nearly as stark of a difference with Washington because they've got a lot of six-year players on their team. Yeah, Washington has nine guys that are six-year players. Nine and times. Nine guys. So, and then I think you you have two places that have pretty healthy cultures, and that matters, and that helps with retention. Um, you know, what is your collective? What is their situation? Because that that as a matter of of talent uh, uh, accumulation and retention, that really matters. There's all these factors that were not factors five years ago, and everything, and all these factors are changing, like literally from month to month, and what that looks like, and how do we do this? People are still figuring all that out. So this was a time of transition. So of course it makes sense that you'd have these sort of. I don't mean this is going to sound like a pejorative analogy. I do not mean it in this way. Okay, just for the record. But I think for the for the sake of can somebody help me out and let me know what the word pejorative means? Just <laughs> put it in the chat. Well, thank you. So. Okay, so anyway, so college football and these elite programs were always like the cement, right? And then there's cracks in the cement, and you have these weeds growing up because there's opportunity there, right? That's what it What's is. So quasity. It means uh, wordliness, I guess. <laughs> anyway, is that what that word means? Loquacity. It's the uh, it's a uh, it's a form of loquacious. Yes, I don't know that loquacity is a word. Probably is a word. Anyway, that would be great if somebody that, used a big word that wasn't a word to describe how wordly you're being. That'd be good. But anyway, the point is that there's a lot of changes and there's cracks. And Michigan and Washington broke through those cracks and beat the Georgias, beat the Alabamas. Um, you know, got through to beat Ohio State, beat these places that had all these things. I mean, Clemson's a great example too, right? What is the Clemson program? If Dabo takes his hand off the wheel a little bit, if they embrace maybe NIL a little bit more, if they, obviously the portal. We've had a bajillion different conversations about that in Clemson. Like the big bads, for all different reasons, didn't show up, and there was opportunity here, and they rose up through it. So uh, shout out to Washington, Michigan. But I think there are. But certainly I just don't a feel like there were that the many cracks sport. in the past. That's the thing. Like the teams yeah, that have. That's, but when you have there everything were no changed, cracks. There's cracks now. Yeah. There weren't cracks in the last ten years. Yeah. Or the last 20 well, where yeah. their data shows it can't be happening. Look yeah. There you go. I will take some There's credit. There's not one I still, thing. It's all I, think people think, I think people think that I've completely changed my mind on the entire star system. That won't and cannot change. And I think yeah. it will be super interesting to see how good Michigan and Washington are next year because the quote-unquote developmental programs won't be able to sustain losses and turnover the way that yeah. the, uh, like Alabama's and Georgia's will. I think will. that's true. Mm-hmm. But I do think that like if you're – a Michigan fan, and you're super proud of the way that Michigan went about building their team this year, that you could probably say, we have a legitimate chance to win a national championship three out of every ten years based on the way that our roster is made up. That's a hell of a lot more than I would have given them credit for two years ago. I I think think in general, Georgia's so interesting because they didn't have flaws this year. Like Georgia, despite all the rebuilding that they've had to do in the last – you know, after the first year, you had to rebuild your defense. Defense was not an all-time defense, but it was a very good defense. Now you win the second one. Now you got to rebuild off these receivers. You got a new quarterback, and it worked perfectly. Georgia, are we are we in agreement that Georgia is the best team in the country this year? I mean, pro- I, th- I would think I would say probably. Probably is a good way to put it. It's possible that Georgia had cracks the way that Alabama did that weren't exposed. What cracks? I mean, I, what are you talking about? What I don't know. Cracks? Like I don't know that I'm 100% convinced that Carson Beck is John Elway. I'm not he's 100% not John Elway, convinced but, that their but I do defense is impenetrable. I don't know. It's not like, impenetrable, I, but it's really, really good. My Georgia point is that they has lost no one game. flaws. Yeah, Maxwell just said it at the same I did. Georgia is not the team it was last year, 
And I think that people think that Georgia was the team it was last year. I think that they were yeah. capable of losing to Alabama, regardless of the circumstances that led to that loss. Is a clear and ide- I mean, I used to say that Georgia was the better version of Michigan, and that's not true this year. If no, it were, that would have come out. We would have. I think that. if you want to put if you want to put that Alabama loss at the feet of Mike Bobo, I think that's fair. I think the concern, but that's part of the team. Well, so like, sure. I, I just like don't want to go into the offseason thinking, well, you can't take it away from Michigan. Oh, well, Michigan won the I'm championship. I'm not taking anything away to from play them. Georgia. I'm not taking. Like, no, away I don't think them. that Georgia is the best team in the in the country this year. I think the team that wins this game is going to be the best team in the country. So I mean, I, I hate to Georgia, say it, but so if Georgia listen, listen I, I I don't say this to take away, and I think there's a possibility that Michigan, as dominant as they have been, I think has a good case to be the best team in the country. Washington going undefeated is really really hard. They were not dominant that much. Georgia was pretty dominant for a lot more often than they weren't, and so was Michigan. But I still think if Georgia and Michigan played, Georgia would win that ball game. So it doesn't. I think that Georgia would have a chance to win. I don't think I would sit here right now and say it's the definitive. No chance that Michigan could win that. Not game. definitive, but I think they had like a what a sixty-five percent chance of winning that game. I'd probably flip a coin. You'd flip a coin between Michigan yeah. and Georgia. Okay. I don't think that I I never you've watched, like got into. You've watched both of those teams play, correct? You. <laughs> I mean, I've I thought Michigan was very impressive two of the last three weeks. All I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I I am done looking down at Michigan. I think they are really, really. I'm not really looking good. down on them at all. I think they. Were, I think that they taking away from how good they are, 24 hours before they play the national championship, to talk about a team that lost in their conference championship game and like how they could not beat them is talking down to them. That's not talking. Down. Let the record show. In our midseason preview, I did pick Michigan to win the national championship. Just for the record, let's put that on the. Let's put that on the table. I did. I did do that, and I believe you mocked me for it. You said, if I'm not mistaken. How did all of our staff pick Michigan? I'm taking Georgia. You guys are crazy. I believe that was the the summation of your points, was it not? Yes, and I've spent the last 10 days doing the shame tour explaining that I was wrong. <laughs> like, I'm not going to switch enough. up and go back to the stars thing now. I mean, well, obviously, Georgia saying. on paper has more stars than them. I just don't. I'm just saying I don't subscribe to the notion that Georgia is the unbeatable, unflappable team that they were a year ago. I don't think that's true. I think there's a difference between being the unbeatable, unflappable team and maybe being the best team. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, anyway, I think Michigan is a yeah. Okay, let's go. We're to the getting next sidetracked. Question. Let's go to the next call. Yeah. Ari, shalom, Ian. You know, I called you leaving the Boise State game, the first game of the year, as I was walking out of the stadium. Now I'm calling you from the New Orleans Marriott gym. I went to bed four hours ago. And Washington is 14-0 and and going to the national championships. But can you recall a team just defying the expectation that eh, they don't have it, they're going to trip up on a couple of these? They, they just keep doing it. And as a fan, it's beyond the point of gloating. It's just appreciation for putting me through cardiac arrest every Saturday for the last three months. Love you guys. Good dogs. I've got two things to unpack there. First of all, shalom to you. Okay. <laughs> Second of all, if you go to the gym when you're in New Orleans for a football game like that, you're a That's psychopath. I, I know I'm not the, <laughs> I know I'm not the epitome of male physique or uh, working out health. You know, I used to co-host the show with somebody who was mani- maniacal in the gym. And one of my new year's resolutions as everybody else's is to get in better shape. Um, but I don't know. I know one thing definitively. I will never be the person that goes to the gym in Vegas. 
I will never be the person that goes to the gym while in New Orleans, especially considering that that was some sort of um, slosh fest probably down there. And New Orleans is not a a place to work out. I would be in bed recovering. Um, That said, there is this feeling, and and we spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about Michigan. So I want to take some time to talk about Washington here, Dave. Mm -hmm. Um, Michigan has this feeling, and I don't know if it's the, the... the sweatshirts that say Michigan against everybody or Michigan against the world, or, you know, we we're tight in the locker room and, you know, we can't be stopped. We're not losing this year. There is a lot of the same element um, of that with Washington of like, when are people going to stop questioning whether this team is built? And I think that um, Washington is a team that has been repeatedly picked against. I have repeatedly picked against them starting in the preseason while rolling my eyes that people said that they were going to be really good this year mm-hmm. to they're eventually going to lose to the pack to, to some random pack 12 team um, to they're going to lose to Oregon to they're going to lose to Oregon again uh, in the uh, pack 12 championship. It's like I'm also at the point now too where we have to give a lot of credit to Washington's resilience and Washington's ability to win on the margins and Washington mm-hmm. stepping up in big time high leverage moments. And Washington refusing to lose. So you have two teams here. And a lot of times, like when we're in the national championship game, both or one team have a loss. We have two teams here that are undefeated and going for 15 and 0. And teams that have been in positions where they could have lost. Michigan could have lost um, once or twice the last two or three games. You know, I mean, hell, if if Iowa had a functioning offense, Michigan might have had an uncomfortable game in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. Uh, They found a way to win in all those games. And Washington, we know very well about the Arizona State game and some of these big-time wins against Oregon. I mean, they could have lost both of them, really, uh, and they didn't. So I think that picking a side in this game is very difficult, not only because of the contrast in styles, but also because you have two teams who have shown a relentless inability to lose. Mm -hmm. And Washington deserves to be put into that that category, along with our To our listener... Uh, talking about, you know, have we seen this before? Ari, your favorite team did this 12 months ago. The Browns? We saw, yes. We saw this <laughs> with TCU. Like, TCU was even more unlikely for a lot of reasons. Um, year one under a new coach, he inherits a five and seven team. So, T- and TCU had a lot of games where they, Washington's had a bunch of games where they could have lost. TCU had like a bunch where they probably should have lost, right? The fire drill field. And they also did lose in the big 12 championship game. Also that they came into the playoff off of a loss. Yeah, that's true too. Um, So I think TCU is as probably more unlikely, but this team has been really, really fun to watch all year long. They have had some tight situations, but I don't think they've played a game already where you're like, Washington probably should have lost that game. And so to play that many close games, where you are making the difference in the margins and you are making the plays like teams haven't like the pick six against Arizona state is really only time where another team really made mistakes that Washington took, took advantage of. Like what's well, been Washington making plays and that is a, that is a skill and that is pretty impressive. I think so. I I'm really excited for this game. Uh, I'm sure people will be mad about our, our conversation detour about the best team. I don't, it's not like I'm going to be like, Oh, this, this comments are buzzing on you right now. Is that ah, you? I think that like, Cam's going to have com- to clip. 
it's not like I think, oh, this this championship is going to be illegitimate or whatever. Like clearly, they'll be like the champions. Un- like well, you got to prove it. You got to win your games, Georgia. David, you were just trying to play the game that we always play in the past. Well, um, my si- and the, I just the situation don't do that I'm talking about year. is well, that's the thing. My situation is if you played a simulation of this season a thousand times, or you played at these games, if you put it in the computer and you played these te- these teams a thousand times, like Georgia probably wins more. But you got to do it, and it's not like it's like crazy that georgia lost a game or like that that you know michigan is undefeated or washington's undefeated these are really good teams and they're going to be very 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 worthy champions if they win it so but i also just don't think that if you simulated the alabama michigan game a hundred times that it would come out alabama 90 michigan 10 i don't actually think that i think that michigan probably be 70 30 yeah something like that probably i think michigan was clearly the better football team in that game i agree with that that's definitely true but I also so, think that and we'll never be able to know what team. Georgia would be in those scenarios. Yeah, we won't. We know won't. I Alabama also think Georgia clearly is a Georgia's clearly a much better team than Alabama based on you know literally the entire season that we just watched. So it is what it is. But you've got to prove it, and they didn't prove it. So uh, I don't mean that to be for Michigan or what. You know, I'm not trying to troll Michigan. I'm trying to trying to tell you what it is. Like you know that's what we're talking about. So, but I'm excited for this game. These are two really good teams, very deserving teams that got here. The last two undefeated teams, uh, you know, Liberty lost, Florida State lost. We're here, and I'm excited to watch this ball game. Yeah, and and Lori here said both of these teams feel like teams of destiny. Um, it's going to be brutal for the loser. I agree with that. It's, I think both teams. I mean, hell, if you would have told me that both of these teams were going to be playing for a national championship, I would have like checked you to make sure like you're you had your vitals. You know, like, and now we have a team mm-hmm. that is going to win a championship game that, you know, I never would have thought was possible and kudos to them for that. Did we pick the game in a previous game? Do you have like any final thoughts as it changed? Do you want to just no, tell I me like, cuz you alluded wins. to Washington a few Yeah, times I still think Washington year, yeah. wins. I think quarterbacks make the difference when you're good enough on the lines. I think Washington is good enough and they have stood tall against teams that should have beat them up on the lines. Texas, Oregon twice. Those obviously jump out to me. And I think they can do it again. I think they can be good enough on the lines to allow the difference between Michael Penix and J.J. McCarthy, which I think is vast, and the skill position talent, which I think is vast, to be the difference in this ballgame. Yeah, I think Michigan's going to win. I don't know if I'd feel comfortable. I mean, hell, I, I mean, if you're going to say it, you're going to say it. They're probably going to cover. I just think that Michigan's going to control the game based on what you said earlier, the, the more stable ability to move the football. Um, I think that you know their defense is going to be good enough to at least – stop it from being a scenario like every time Washington touches the ball, they score. And I think they're going to control the ball, the line of scrimmage, and do a very good job of winning games. Um, Ralph Russo in the interview here that you, if you're listening to this podcast that I think said it best, but you know, Michigan forces teams or has an uncanny way of forcing teams to play the way they're playing and whether or not they're going to be able to do that to Washington, I think is going to determine that. And I just they're think they're going to be able to. You don't think so? No. I, I think that uh, it's going to slow I, it down. I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be that guy again. Just look at the schedule. They played two teams this year that could have beat them. I got to say, Dave. One of which is very flawed. I got to say this, and I don't want to say this to you after the first year that we've done this together. (laughs) Thank you so much for being the bad guy. (laughs) It feels really good to come out of this and everybody thinking of this. Ari's not the asshole here. Like, this guy's (laughs) off of his rocker. Like, I'm actually been the voice of reason on this show, I think. So, um the fact that we're both on different sides of this too, I think is interesting. I think that kind of plays into the fact that um, it is going to be a good game and I hope it's going to be it a is. good game. We've got the whole athletic I'm so excited, crew here. Man. 
to cover it. Um, I'm excited to go to it. Uh, Dave and I will be podcasting. I'm going yes. and covering my first game ever where my prime um, responsibility is to podcast. So we are not nice. going to have a, a, a big layover after the game is over. I'm going to go set up the camera and the computer and find a press box area that is quiet. And Dave and I are going to go very shortly after the game is over. So if you watch us live on the YouTube channel, I'm going to be watching with a bunch of coaches on Monday night, yes, and I will find a spot. You'll have to relocate somewhere in the Gaylord Opry lands, and we will, we will, which is great because that hotel is the size of the state of West Virginia. So you'll find. Somewhere. I don't want to talk about the Opry Land, Ari. I have some it's very, fire very Opryland large takes. hotel. Yeah, we can talk yeah. about that tomorrow. And then somebody asked a question: Who do you think would win the the playoff this year in a 12 team bracket. I think that would Georgia. be a really fun discussion. Yeah. Georgia. I think we already know who, who Dave <laughs> thinks. Um, thank you all for listening to the latest edition of until Saturday. Um, I didn't promote the show the way I should have at the beginning. So let me just be a little bit more thorough about it. Now uh, be sure to follow the podcast and Apple, wherever you listen to your podcast, please help support the show by dropping a five-star review. And as always, if you leave a five-star review with a question, we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Um, also subscribe for the until Saturday feed on YouTube. If you're watching, or if you're watching here, we appreciate you. If you're listening uh, in podcast form on Sunday afternoon or Monday morning, um, subscribe to the YouTube channel because we're going live right away and it's going to be there before it hits your podcast feed. Um, the links to both the podcast and the YouTube channel can be found in the show's description. Uh, thank you so much for participating in the Sunday sound off episode. We're going to get more questions, more voicemails moving on into the off season. If you want that phone number, 316-462-9852. Again, that is 316-462-9852. You can call it whenever you feel something. It doesn't have to be before or after a game. It can be at any point. Call and text that number. We will use your stuff more frequently in the offseason with more time and more airwaves to spare. Uh, Dave, I hope you have a really good time at AFCA. I'm going to enjoy myself here in Houston, and we will get back with you guys after the game live on YouTube on Monday evening. Thanks for listening. That was the latest edition of Until Saturday. And still bring back the